0: I'm Jake Corley, and I'm Mark Lagour. and you're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week Podcast, brought to you by Bulwark. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome to another episode of Oil & Gas This Week. This is episode 92. What's going on, Mark? It's cold outside, Jake. Cold for Houston. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Really cold. Might as well be the North Pole for Houston. It's a frigid, I think, 51 degrees today. I'm breaking out all the winter coats and the, the pants and the gloves, and I might even throw on a scarf or two. Yeah, because we only have a, three or four days of that, then it gets hot again. <laughs> yeah, we're actually having to run the heat for once, which is a little weird. It, it is a little weird, because you're not used to the heater coming on, because it almost never comes on. Yeah. So we, uh, we got a little bit of news. I, I apologize to everyone, because we always talk about the Marine Corps but this is a perfect banner topic for both of us. Uh so Trump has recently selected four-star uh retired Marine Corps general John Kelly to lead up the Department of Homeland Security. Man, and and this guy's another
1: legend. Um you know, he did didn't he do a bunch of work around Guantanamo Bay? Was he yeah. involved in yep. all that? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so he he kind of understands not that there's really a softer side of warfare, but he kind of understands the the softer side, right? The the influence and, and doing good work and, and wondering about things like supply chain and all that sort of stuff. So, man, I just think he's a, a perfect, perfect fit to lead home, Homeland Security. Um, and then he's a soldier, right? And and so just just another just great choice. But you are right, Jake. We we tend to talk about the Marine Corps every show. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure our listeners out there, our fellow devil dogs are happy with it, but uh, probably everybody else <laughs> is like getting, getting tired of it. But we didn't do it on purpose. It's just how it worked it, out.
0: It just keeps being in the news. So we've got, you know, we've got John Kelly leading the Department of Homeland Security. We've got uh, retired General Mattis, who's going to be the hopefully the Secretary of Defense. And we've got the remaining uh, Joint Chief of Staff's uh, chairman, who is General Dunford. So we've got three Marines in positions of power. So regardless yes. of what your view of, of Trump may be, us double dogs are pretty happy about that. Yeah, but he's also making good choices. It's Actually, I'm kind of
1: surprised. He's picking good leaders that have a background to be successful in the roles that he's put them in. He's not picking politicians. He's picking leaders. Um, so, I, you know, I'm really interested to see what's going to happen in 2017.
0: Yeah, all, all three of these guys also worked together back in Iraq. Uh, they were all in country at the same time. Uh, General Mattis actually promoted John Kelly from Colonel to Brigadier General. Uh, and General Dunford was there just a you know, little, little bit down the road. So... They're all good friends, so this is uh, it's cool to see what's going to happen. It's going to be a team. Yeah.
1: Hey, if they so they have three, if they get nine more, they have their own squad. <laughs> <laughs> I'd follow those guys into battle any day. I, you know, is at fifty-one and a half years old, at twenty-five pounds overweight, I, in a heartbeat, I'd kid up and go follow them <laughs> right now. Um, my wife may not be too happy about that, but I'd do it. Um, so let's before we get into the stories or story in this case, um, let's talk about being on the road. So uh, Jake and I um, are filling up for 2017. Um, if you have an organization, an oil and gas event, a sales organization, a book club, your school, uh, and you'd like Jake and I to come out and talk to your folks, reach out to us and let us know. we got the whole Geo Convention going on May 15th to 19th, running an awesome special if you want to exhibit, which you should exhibit. Uh, if you want to do that, Jake, I have a link in the show notes uh, to reach out to Dustin. The normally $1,800 price uh, is reduced for $1,600 for our listeners. And then we're going to be at the, let's see, the MidCon Digital Oil Field Conference in January. We'll be at NAEP in the summer, the Nape Summit here in Houston in February. We'll be here in Houston back at Process Safety and Oil and Gas in March. And then, Jake, you don't even know this. I just left uh, National Oil Well uh, yesterday when I was uh, um, interviewing the chief marketing officer, and we're doing a joint venture, all of our podcasts, with National Oil Well for OTC. Oh, that's great. Um, no, yeah, it's going to be fire. So we'll have details to follow. But like I said, if you'd like to uh, see Jake and I in your place, reach out to us, and we'll be happy to share
0: details. Are so, you- Jake, what is our stories this week? So uh, this is the part of the show where I shut up and let you talk about the oil and gas predictions for 2017. So we got a whole bunch to talk about. Uh, I think this is a great topic kind of, you know, as we're segueing into 2017 uh, and letting people kind of know what to expect out of the next year. Yeah,
1: it says um, this. We do this every year. Um, did it? I think 2014, 2015, 2016, now 2017. We have no crystal ball. Uh, this is just based upon our experience, um, our knowledge that we gain from uh, working with leaders in the industry, and and you know just knowing what's going on geopolitically globally in the oil and gas industry. So um, you know, like I said, we don't have a crystal ball, um, but this is what we think are the top ten business drivers next year for oil and gas. And the first one is petrochemicals petrochemicals are going to be huge. They're huge right now, but they're going to be huge globally. And the reason they're going to be huge globally is petrochemicals make stuff. Uh, plastics, adhesives, um, paints, fertilizers. A lot of people don't know that 60% of the world is fed from fertilizer made from natural gas. And all that's petrochemicals. And what's happening is the raw feedstock the natural gas crude, is dirt cheap globally, but especially here in the U.S., and, but there's the, a rising need for petrochemicals with all these emerging populations. So what's happening here in Europe over the last decade is we use less oil and gas for fuel, but we turn more, but we use more and more oil and gas to make products. So anybody listening, uh, if you're listening on a, a smartphone, that smartphone wouldn't exist without the plastics from oil and gas. Um, if you're listening, you know, in your car, uh, obviously your car wouldn't exist without the products <laughs> from all gas, nor would it be moving anywhere. Um, you know, and if you're listening on this on a PC, the um, the insulation on the wires that go to your motherboard come from all gas. So the, the products are invasive in our life, and just most people don't know it. So petrochemicals will be huge. No comment, Jake? <laughs> Nope, <laughs> did I lose you? <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, uh, so look at the petrochemical companies. If you're if you're in a sales role, right, and we're still struggling with this low crude price environment, and the upstream companies and the service companies um, don't have a lot of money to spend with you, the petrochemical companies will. The downstream companies. So look at that. Next thing is, and this is stepping out on a limb, but I'm firmly convinced that right. I think we're entering into a global ethylene shortage. Now ethylene is what uh, ethylene crackers use to make plastic. Ethylene comes from ethane, which is stripped from natural gas. So basically an ethylene cracker uh, converts uh, natural gas to plastics and there's an enormous global need for, for, um, for ethylene and, and the supply is not there. I think we're entering to a short of 2017 which could drive prices up and prices up for everything that uh, plastic is used for. Um, now there's a race and it's this huge global race that nobody sees. I mean we see it and I think some of the other um, industry analysts see it as well. But um, we're in a race with uh, China and with the Middle East. All of them see this emerging market for, for ethylene um, all of us including ourselves are in the race to build all these ethylene crackers and look at what's going on in the US we're building them everywhere there's gas which is their raw feedstock so not just traditionally centered in the gulf coast like most fuel refineries are but everywhere we're building in Pennsylvania and, and you know any place there's gas and the middle east sees this, this potential too so the middle east is trying to modernize their economy get away from being a strictly a crude exporter and so they're building ethylene crackers because they have abundant cheap natural gas as well But we're a little bit ahead of them. Um, And we can build the most efficient ethylene crackers on the planet. And we have the uh, cheapest transportation costs because we have deep water ports on every coast, which the Middle East doesn't have. China also sees this potential. So China's out there building uh, ethylene crackers as well. The problem with China is they don't have access to the cheap feedstock yet. That we have, uh, China has a lot of the same shale geologies we have here in the U.S. Um, there's um, fracking going on right now in Russia. There's actually fracking going on in the Middle East, and the Chinese are starting to experiment with it. Uh, we'll get that to one of our other predictors. But we think we're entering a global ethylene shortage. Which, um, you know, if you think about that, you can probably use that knowledge, if I'm right, which I'm firmly convinced I am, to, to kind of help your business. Once again, if you're a, a company that's looking to sell
0: stuff, go look at the ethylene guys. Right there, they they, they money is everywhere for them right now. When you spoke a while back, uh, I think it was about a month ago, you were mentioning the ethylene crackers, and just kind of looking at everyone's faces across the room, you got a lot of heads turned <laughs> sideways and deer in the headlights, and i were not really sure what that was. So is, just for the people who don't know, is an ethylene cracker similar to like a refinery? Yeah, it's um all of these plants look from the outside like a refiner
1: now ethylene cracker has something called trains but unless you know what that is you it's just you know it's a bunch of smokestacks and parts and processing places all lumped together um so it's it's hard when you drive by one to tell is it a fuel refinery is it a petrochemical plant is it's an it ethylene cracker um but yeah it's it's a very um very specific uh, petrochemical process
0: fantastic that, like hopefully, I said, hopefully that clears up some uh, some of the questions there <laughs> yeah like I
1: said, which a lot of the people don't even know what's going on right here and a lot of our politicians don't know, which is actually
0: uh, is a good thing because they can't stick their foot in it and mess it up. <laughs> All right, number three, offshore standardization. I think this is pretty neat. yeah, Holy grail, right.
1: Um, you may not know this, but um, I think we maybe have talked about it in the past. But when Anadarko does a field in the Gulf of Mexico, it's all unique to Anadarko. All those parts and pieces, including yeah. the drill rig, is unique to Anadarko. And literally, you know, three or four kilometers over, Exxon's drilling, and all that stuff's unique to Exxon. Although they're drilling almost next to each other, and so what's going to happen? We're in this, um, in, we're in a long-term hydrocarbon-abundant world. Prices going to stay low for a very long time. The parts and pieces that go on the ocean floor are a significant, they're not you know, huge, but they're a significant part of the total cost of the project. So if you actually start standardizing trees and plets and manifolds between the operators, um, you can start seeing prices go down from the cost of manufacturing those parts and pieces. But the bigger cost savings is the fact that the crews can do things quicker and easier because everything's not a one-off. And that will just drive costs down, which will allow the offshore guys not ultra deep water, not high pressure, high temperature, but the offshore guys actually make money. So we're in the very beginning of this. Unfortunately, Jake, this is a cultural change. You know, having to convince Exxon to work with Shell, to work with Chevron, to, to work with Statoil, and standardize this, is a change in the way people think. Um, interesting enough that we had a, um, a memorandum of understanding signed by all the major operators uh, just this last quarter, basically saying we're going to start working as a group, even though we're competitors. We're not going to be rivals in this endeavor, right? So even though we're competitors, we're going to work together as a team and start the whole standardization project, process. It's great for the industry. It's actually great from an HS&E point of view um, because everything is is built the same, which is much easier to make sure everything's safe for everybody. Um, now, is this going to happen completely next year no but we're in the beginning of it and so i think in another 10 years uh, we'll be there which is is great for the industry
0: i think that i think it's super interesting but i think it's also weird in a way (laughs) just because these guys like you've talked about in the past i mean you know these guys are very protective over uh, their designs everyone thinks that their engineering is better than the next guys so seeing how that conversation would go down when they're actually trying to work towards the standardization that'd be kind of interesting to hear yeah, and it's also Jake from uh, you know you and I are both heavily involved in technology. This is also
1: gonna be a high tech en- uh, endeavor, right? So once you start standardizing processes and parts and pieces, then you can start standardizing the technology that comes in. Um, you know we have our other show, the HSE podcast, and I think Patrick and I talked about this in the past. What happens when the major operators start sharing HSE data in real time? Man, mm. you talk about drive metrics even safer in this industry. Um, same way with production. What happens when they start selling production? Um, and, and they won't share all of their production data because they have their own secret sauce. But what happens when they share that in this certain play we use this size drill bit and we we, you know, we injected this much steam and they start sharing that. You start doing big data analytics around that. And you've now standardized from the key players um, the best practices. So, so I'm, I'm actually really excited for this. Yeah, that'll be pretty cool to see. All right, this next one is one everybody's going to say I'm crazy on. So I am firmly convinced at the end... Third, fourth quarter of 2017, we're going to see inflation uh, in the service companies uh, on land. Um, and when I say inflation, I mean there's not going to be enough parts, people's, pumps, whatever. You can see prices go up. Um, and I, I know right now that the service companies are suffering, um, and they're suffering bad. And I know that um, you know that doesn't seem possible that we're going to run out, but we will. Drilling's gonna start. is already starting to pick back up. Uh, we expect that to continue. Unfortunately, the service companies have cut both inventory, research and development, and people. And those people are not coming back. It's not like it was in the 80s where the guys left for four years and they came back and picked back up. The people that left now aren't coming back. So we really think we're going to start seeing inflation, and that's going to drive a different competitive land, different competitive landscape in the industry. Now, I'm only talking about on land. Um, we're watching all the operators shift their um, CapEx budgets, and so land is where it's at just because it's cheaper, and we've gotten the technology where we can be very productive on land. And the next one, number five. Still with me, Jake? Yep. (laughs) (laughs) We're entering a long-term hydrocarbon abundant world. Hydrocarbons are everywhere because of the technologies, because of the innovation that we've came up with. Um, There there is no shortage, and there will be no shortage for any foreseeable future. Um, And and that is another major business driver. So prices are going to stay low because we're in this hydrocarbon abundant world. Um, Now, the prices are actually going to be at a point where companies can still make money, um, but the uh, population of the whole gets, uh, and I mean globally, gets to benefit from this abundant cheap energy. So it's, um, it's going to help bring populations out of poverty. It's going to help uh, modernize a lot of parts of the world that right now are a rural agricultural society. Um, um, the good oil and gas companies are going to be able to make money in our new price environment. Um, the guys that don't want to change or will disappear, which is just going to drive more efficiencies in our industry. So number five is we're in a long-term
0: hydrocarbon abundant world. So what are some of the, the – can you kind of unpack some of the population benefits of the uh, the load crude price environment? Yeah, so um, I can't remember the organization uh, that did this
1: study, but they're looking at Africa as a whole. And, and most of Africa still reads leads a rural agricultural hunter type of – or farmer type of lifestyle. And it's, it's going to take a certain amount of energy. I mean, think about you and me, Jake. So we're sitting in our respective homes, um, and we probably – our homes um, probably – take anywhere from 15 to 30 kilowatts of electricity a day to run we don't think about right we have air conditioners uh, we have refrigerators we have freezers we have washing machines people in africa don't majority of them don't have that um i think about it all the time because in the morning i make two shots of espresso and then i i it down to have iced coffee and it's like we are so prosperous here in the u.s i can take energy which was used to make grow coffee And then take that same more energy, which is used to transport to my house. I can then take more energy, heat the water up to make my espresso. Right and Then I can take more energy to cool it back off. I mean, think how wasteful that is. <laughs> but, but you and I and most people here in Europe don't think twice about it. It's not that way in China and in Vietnam and in Africa. So in order to bring your population out of from that up to modern civilization standards, it takes abundant cheap energy. And the, somebody did the math. And if I think about it, I'll try to do the research because it was a third-party independent global organization that, that figured out that there's no way in heck that Africa can pull its people out of um, poverty. Without the, the energy from oil and gas, like solar, wind, renewals, just there's not enough of it there yet. So um, that's one of the things, and it's it's the whole world's competitive. I mean, you can see the Chinese population. You're seeing it happen right now. You can see countries like Vietnam, um, Russia, um, all of their their populations are going to move toward a more modern, um, abundant, you know, energy plentiful world and it's good for, good for everybody because then people don't have to worry about survival now you have people that can spend time and think about
0: things think of innovation new products new design so just just great for the population as a whole i don't know much about singapore but i feel like oil and gas contributed heavily to uh, their development oh yeah are you kidding me <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and if you've never been to singapore you
1: need to go at least once it's it's one of the most unique cities on earth it is unbelievably jam-packed with people it's very um um universal i mean there's people from all around the world that live and work there it's unbelievably clean um it's but yeah their their whole economy
0: is built on oil and gas We're We'll just put that on our list for places to go next year right oh yeah (laughs) we'll put it on our list yeah hey anybody
1: (laughs) listening in singapore that like jake and i to come speak let us know we'll jump on a plane come do it that'd be awesome yeah and then the next one is a lot of people gonna be upset with me saying this but it's the truth expensive oil is dead so um high pressure, ultra deep water, oil sands, uh, North Sea, it's dead. Um, it and I don't mean it's going to disappear in 2017, but that expensive oil it doesn't make fiscal sense to get out of the oil and ground. Now there's still a whole bunch of opportunity around that. I think we talked earlier about the opportunities for decommissioning the North Sea. Man, if I had an oil and gas service company, I'd be all over that, trying to figure out how I could be the best decommissioner because there's all that money's already been set aside by law, and you got 50 years, maybe even 75 years of work decommissioning all those platforms. Now this expensive oil will come back, Jake, um, but it's going to take. An evolution in both processes and technology that we literally don't have right now. So, um, you know, we're thinking it's probably in the magnitude of fifteen to twenty years before that oil comes back online. Um, but we need to get to a point where we can automate so much of that expensive work um, that we have new processes, new materials that allow us to, to to tap into that quicker and and you know uh, hit those project milestones and literal dates. And I really think it's going to take things like robotics. Um, at, a, at, a, at a scale that we just don't have now to go back there. But we
0: will go back there. Um, but expensive oil is dead. So just to um, and- clarify for the people who are kind of curious about this, when you say expensive oil, do you mean uh, really large upfront capital expenditures or are you talking about lift costs, just getting the oil out of the ground? Well, so so
1: you, you combine those two, right, because lift cost is important. Um, you combine those two to get the total cost of the project, and you figure out what your break-even is. So when I say expensive oil, I'm talking about oil that the break-even is $70 and above a barrel. Oh, um, yeah. That's yeah. definitely expensive. Yeah. And, and in today's environment, that's expensive. Just five years ago, that would have been dirt cheap oil, right? Um, but, yeah, that's just expensive oil. And and because we're in this hydrocarbon abundant world, it just doesn't make sense for companies fiscally to, to go after that stuff. Now, um, the smart companies and on all of the majors and uh, some of the, the smarter um, independents out there, are keeping their finger on the pulse right They're continue to buy leases i mean we just had a, a good lease sell out in uh, in mexico after the first round was a dud um, because they know that um drilling offshore can still be profitable right so drilling on the shelf shallow water even some deep water just not ultra deep water um but but You know, once again, you know, you start getting above that price point and it just doesn't make fiscal sense. It will somewhere in the future because what will happen is as we modernize and bring in new technologies, we'll be able to do high pressure, high temperature, and the break even point would be, you know, $50 a barrel. We just won't be there for, like I said, a decade or so.
0: Yeah, technology allows to get there. And just to kind of put that in comparison, uh efficient operators are the, the break-even points around 23 to 25 dollars a barrel so 70 dollars oil is quite expensive um so it, it'll be cool to see i mean both of us are so big into technology it'll be cool to see um how efficient the industry can get and how we can bring those prices down yeah and it's it's good it's gonna be a difference in personnel
1: right so you're gonna have i i firmly i'm firmly convinced that somewhere in my lifetime Um, you're going to have a totally autonomous Parker drill ship (laughs) go out and do some hype. Definitely, definitely. Some altered deep water. And not only go into, not only go drill, but automated completions where people just are not involved. And it's going to be better and safer than what we're doing now. You're gonna have the you know the subsea leaders, the FMC technologies, and the Camerons and the G oil and Oil Gas um, really have to put their nose to the grindstone to innovate in the future because of their
0: core business is being threatened by this. But they will innovate, Jake, um, and, it, and it's just gonna be really, really cool. I thought I've already heard something about uh, one of the companies having. Not completely autonomous uh, land rigs, but pretty close to it. No, no, no. Yeah, so uh, Schlumberger, did, and,
1: and I don't know if this is public knowledge or not. Sorry, So Maybe I should just say the world's largest service company. How about that? Okay. Um, they've already done a proof of concept, and they drilled. And I'm, I may get the numbers wrong. I think they drilled two 5,000-foot verticals with two 3,000-foot horizontals, and not a single person was out there. That's amazing. That, isn't that cool? Now, it's a proof of concept, right? It's not ready for production, but the fact that they're even testing it is cool. Yeah, it's super exciting time. Yep. So the next one is fundamental changes in industry. Like, it's never happened. I've been in this industry 20 years. This is my fourth downturn. Um, this one's going to be different. And, and, and what's making it different is a handful of things, what I call the perfect storm all coming together. So all of the old guys, the guys have been doing it for 20, 25, 30, 35 years, the majority of them have left, right? And they're not coming back. Um, That changes the way that we train the younger people coming in. Historically, you'd bring in a young engineer, and he'd work with the more experienced engineers, and he'd pick stuff up. They would help him. They'd keep him from making mistakes, him or her. Um, Well, that's gone now. These young engineers have to come in and not have that type of mentorship, the other thing is changing is the, the when the with the loss of this experienced talent, there's a lot of stuff in their heads that have not been captured that is walking out the door. Once again, that means they're gonna have problems that um, these younger people are gonna have to deal with that they won't have somebody to rely on to show them. And I think the answer to both of those is gonna be a technology answer, and I, I, we're actually seeing it now. You combine that with the cost of technology have gotten so cheap, I mean, ridiculously cheap. Um, Jake, I do a little bit of um, of um, work with Google's uh, artificial intelligence for some of our marketing stuff. And I literally gave it, I think, two spreadsheets of 10,000 columns to crunch and compare it to each other. And it cost me, they sent me my bill, it cost me three cents. (laughs) <laughs> three cents I mean it's how cheap it's gotten you got IBM Watson out there you got Apple looking at doing this you got Facebook at doing this You know, so you get you know uh, technologies like artificial intelligence uh, machine learning uh, cognitive uh, big data analytics and all of that's coming to industry faster than I've ever seen it before so you, you literally and you combine that with this long-term hydrocarbon abundant world and then this new competitive race that we're in, and it's the perfect storm. So we're going to see just fundamental change in the industry that have never happened before, and, and it's it's all good. Um, I am firmly convinced, and everybody says I'm nuts about this, but 20 years from now, I think the oil and gas industry is going to look like Silicon Valley. It's gonna be fast. It's gonna be sexy. All this environmental rigmarole is gonna be gone because everybody's gonna know the truth. Um, it's gonna be an unbelievably flexible workforce with a bunch of young people and entrepreneurs, and small companies doing really cool stuff. It's gonna be very high tech, um, and I'm ready, Jake. <laughs> I've been ready for twenty I, years. I completely like, agree. I, I
0: think I think you're I think you're exactly right. It's gonna head in that direction. I think we've already seen that with some companies. Just with I mean I've been to hundreds of different offices uh, for different EMPs here in the u s and you start to see there's kind of a cultural shift uh, with some of the larger companies who are really embracing uh, embracing the change but then again you go to other offices where it's you know it's like kind of like a blast from the past you know you're you're stepping back twenty years so yeah, and the guys that are, are, and they're not Bleeding Edge. Bleeding Edge would have
1: been doing this a couple years ago. This is just what needs to be done. And the companies that look into this and figure out how to use this are going to pull ahead of their competitors. And it's going to be in a, a way that's never happened before. I mean, think of things like um, 3D printing, Jake, and, and you know, literally, we talked earlier about the subsea manufacturers. There's, there's not a whole bunch of competition there because the barrier is the cost of entry. I mean, I've I've been lucky enough to tour FMC Technologies' manufacturing floor, uh, Cameron's as well, and just the cost of tooling up. I mean, these CNC uh, milling machines are the biggest ones I've ever seen in my entire life, and they have robotic welders and all kinds of stuff, which keeps their competitors from coming in, which allows them to have a limited uh, group of com- competition, right? What happens when 3D printers get to the point where you can actually print a tree? And, and, and you know, people say I'm nuts. They're already printing airplane wings and prosthetics for yeah. people, you know? What happens when you can print a tree? Well, it's fundamentally going to change the industry and the companies out there that recognize this, that get ahead of it and that use it in their business plan are going to pull way ahead of their competitors. So once again, when I say fundamental changes, some names that have been in this industry for 20, 30, 50 years, they may go away and you may have names come in the industry that you wouldn't normally think. Um, A good good way to think about that is, is IBM and their Watson program. They have a dedicated oil and gas practice and Watson's out there solving some major oil and gas problems and IBM's partnering with companies out there. For all we
0: know, Jake, IBM may be a major oil and gas player in 20 years. I mean, it could happen. I wouldn't doubt it. And there's actually some uh, some big Silicon Valley uh, venture capital firms who are actually looking at oil and gas, having energy-specific funds, which is something that we've never seen before. And this is a first for them as well. So that'll be kind of exciting for us to participate in some of that capital.
1: Yeah, and, and, and to participate in some of these new startups who think outside the box, who want to solve age-old problems in our industry, but in a way that nobody's ever thought of. It's just it's, it's
0: good, fun, exciting times. Yeah, if you want to make a lot of money with a tech startup in oil and gas, kind of going back to what you said, if you can extract the information that the old guys have in their head and allow the younger guys coming in to have access to that, you'll make a lot of money. A lot of money. <laughs> Yeah, so the next number eight is uh, we talked about this earlier, but I think
1: this is the year unconventional's go global. It's something that we've had a chokehold on, not because the geology is is. Unique to the U.S. or to North America, but because the knowledge of being profitable in the frac fields is in people's heads, <laughs> and you can't hack what's in people's heads, but it's changing. I mean, they're fracking in the Middle East literally right now. Um, they're doing it in Russia. They've actually done it in Russia for a little while. Um, I think our current administration is probably going to uh, lift the sanctions in Russia, which is going to allow us to bring a lot of our technologies. Uh, to help the Russians in their fracking. Um, it's going on in China. Um, now, the Chinese aren't very good at it, but they're trying. Um, and so um, it's going on in Argentina. Uh, it's going on in Australia. Um, and so these unconventionals are all over the world, and I think you can see them break out. And once again, if you think about that, Jake, that's just more um, hydrocarbon reserves that can come into the market, which means as the prices creep up, as we get close at that $60 mark or so, uh, companies will bring those resources online and drop us back down to 50, $55 a barrel. Once again, the whole hydrocarbon abundant world. But I think we're 2017 is, is the year when, when unconventionals go global. And then, you know, a lot of people are worried that, Oh, we're gonna have another, uh, uh the price of bottom out again, because all these hydrocarbons that can come online. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. People don't go into production just cause, uh, at least not anybody I know. It's, it's all about making money. So the, the, unconventionals that make money that make a profit at 57 58 dollars a barrel will come online and then what happens is because unconventionals are in the grand scheme of things are really easy to turn on and turn off as, as opposed to like a deep water project what happened is as that that those um, hydrocarbons come online, that $57 price will then uh, drop down to 55, 54, which then they'll pull those off a of line. And I know I'm making it very simple. It's really much more complicated, but the prices are going to stay between 50 and $60. So the people out there are worried that all these hydrocarbons are going to flood the market and, and we're going
0: to bottom out at $25 barrel. It's not going to happen. So outside of the U S looking kind of globally, uh, where are we seeing the most activity as far as unconventionals go?
1: Uh, it's, it's a toss up between the Middle East and Russia and, and they're doing it both for the same reasons they both want to capture market share um, or, or at least maintain their market share because both of their economies are totally not totally but are so immensely um involved in the money they make from oil and gas. We're actually kind of lucky here in the US in the fact that our economy is not built upon the revenue from oil and gas. I mean, it it adds a factor, but you know, we're a manufacturer, we're we have agriculture, we're an exporter, uh we have technology, we have all these you know different revenue streams as a country. Um, unfortunately for Russia and the Middle East, they really don't. Now they're both trying to break out of that. Um, like we talked about earlier, um, you know, the Middle East is looking to be an exporter, which is the first exporter of of refined goods, which that has never happened in their history. I think that's smart on their part. Um, do I think they can go head to head with us in a global market? no way in hell. (laughs) I mean, we're just, we're just too good at it. And we have too much feedstock that's too cheap and we're ahead of them. Um, Russia, uh, Russia's trying to shift Russia. You know, Russia actually has a lot of exports that we don't think of. They actually are a big agricultural. Um, they're a big grain provider. They feed a lot of the world. Um, they actually make, Jake, fine wines, which when you think of Russia, you don't think that they would That's that not fine what I wine. think of when I think yeah. of Russia. Yeah. <laughs> Cheeses. Um, but right now we have sanctions in place, which has basically disrupted their market. So a lot of Europe used to buy a lot of their export goods, isn't buying it anymore. So Russia's having to rely more on their oil and gas revenue stream than they're, than they're used to. But like I said, I think our administration is probably going to lift the, the sanctions, and things will kind of more normalize. And I'm actually – not that this is um, tied into what we're talking about now. I'm actually kind of hoping they do – that does happen because we need to um, – you know, we, we need to bring – back good relationships with Russia. There's a lot of stuff in the last couple of years in the, that the press has made it look like there's this us button heads with them, but it's it's in the media. It's it's not how the Russian people believe, and it's not what the U.S. people believe. So I, I just, we, we need
0: to move that direction. Um, I think that kind of leads us into the, the number nine, which I guess we can talk about that a little bit as well. Yeah, so number nine, we have
1: the most oil and gas friendly politically conductive administration in the history of the United States of America. We've never had both a president, a Congress, um, and um, all the president's appointees be so pro-oil and gas. Now, there's a lot of people out there that's going to get all riled up over this saying, oh, we're going to destroy the planet and destroy the environment. No, 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 no. Jake, what industry do you know is more concerned about the environment and about the health and safety of people than any other on the planet? None. Oil and gas, right? Nobody nobody gets measured on HSE like we do. And mm-hmm. it, it's in our hearts, right? Yeah. And so we're going to clean a lot of this stuff up. What's going to happen? What I'm hoping is going to happen is we're going to remove a lot of the fake costs that our last administration imposed upon oil and gas with either rules or tariffs or ridiculously you know, um, r- ridiculously mandates that just make no sense. We're g- hopefully, they're going to take the teeth out of the EPA, who has, who has really been pushing hard to increase the cost of oil and gas. And I think there's a bigger theme here. I think there's certain parts of our political world that figured out that they can't get rid of oil and gas because it's just too prevalent and it's too good for everybody. It provides prosperity. Um, and so they're trying to increase the cost so that it equals some of these renewables so that it makes sense to bring more renewables in. Well, that's not free market, Jake. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I, I love wind. I, I actually think we should keep subsidizing wind and solar for a couple more years because they ha- they definitely have a place in our energy mix, and they've gotten so much cheaper. But things like the renewable fuel standards where we're subsidizing ethanol, that needs to go away. Ethanol is not good for your car. The only people that are benefiting from this are the farmers that are growing the gain- grain Um, to turn into ethanol, uh, and they're being given money by the government because if the money wasn't given to them by the government, it wouldn't be profitable. So there's parts of this that needs to be cleaned up that just make common sense. And we now have not only a a president and not only a Congress, but we now have um, our executive leadership team understand. I mean, uh, Trump is appointing people from the oil and gas industry to to lead these type of things. That hasn't happened ever, and that's how it should have been. Um, so, so I, 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 am so looking forward to 2017. I think that that's going to remove a lot of cost to our industry, both here in the U.S. and and um, once you, once you reduce those costs, that's even more margin at that fifty to six dollar barrel place, which then leads to more jobs. So, um, I, I'm I'm more excited about this than anything else, and I I think we're going to see um, some major changes being sped up. Because of this, like we talked about earlier, because like the adaptation of technology, like the fundamental changes that's happened in industry, I think it's going to be sped up
0: by our, our political administration. Trump also just tapped, uh, I think his name was Scott Pruitt, uh, to head up the EPA. And he's going to be, the from, from the looks of it, he's going to be the most oil and gas friendly uh, head of the EPA that we've probably ever had, or at least in a long time. No, he is. And the funny
1: thing is, I don't know if you did a, a little background check on him. He was one screaming, I think, last year about removing the teeth from EPA. So they go, put a guy in charge of EPA <laughs> who wanted to gut them last year. And it's like, yes, that's how it should be done. Because And nothing against the EPA. They serve their purpose, especially when they were formed, which I think was in the 70s. But they've been overstepping their bounds, especially around oil and gas for the
0: last couple of years. And that just needs to stop. Yeah, I think his main argument was, from, from what I read, that – the EPA was trying to impose regulations that was outside of their constitutional limitations and that it was, yeah. should have been left up to Congress. Yeah. And they were
1: also doing things like trying to impose things over states. So when if it's not specifically spelled out uh, by the federal government, it goes back to states' rights. The states have the legal authority and they have the moral um, obligation to regulate what goes in their states, not the EPA. Um, the states... Answer to their population, not the EPA, and 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 they were stepping way over that, and it's and it looks like it's going to change, which, like I said, is a good thing. Um, and the process of changing, this, I'll tell you something. If we have any people out there a little bit worried about the environment, um, this is going to speed up things like comp- companies and countries switching from cold and natural gas which is 60 percent cleaner for the environment so this is actually going to help the environment it's not going to hurt the environment it's actually going to make things better and quicker and, and faster um, where
0: countries are trying to clean the environment up and, and companies as well so it's, it's just all good stuff so oil and gas is not the not the big bad wolf we do care about the environment we we we're the most environmentally conscious um facet of of Big
1: companies out there, organizations that I know of. Um, You know, people that are my age, do you remember, Jake, do you remember Acid Rain? Are you old enough to remember Acid Rain?
0: I don't think so, no. (laughs) (laughs) before my time. So
1: that was a major problem in the East Coast and same way with smog in the West Coast. That's gone, Jake. It's just gone. It's gone because the oil and gas industry worked with automobile uh, manufacturers and worked in partnership with electrical generation and figured out a way to reduce pollution. Um, So, Jake, my 2013 Infinity. At 80 miles an hour, puts out 1% of the emissions that my 1967 Mustang uh, 351 Cleveland put out, cut off and sitting in the garage. You're a car guy, <laughs> think about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's our cars difference. run so clean now; it's ridiculous. Um, they're not a they're not a producer of pollution anymore, from a statistical point of view. Uh, here in the U.S. and globally, it tends to be electrical gener- generation that is probably the biggest polluter. Um, but we figured out how to to stop the whole acid rain process. Right? We've cleaned up the environment. Our air pollution and water pollution peaked in 1978. It's gotten better ever since then. You wouldn't know that when listen to the news,
0: but that's the truth. Yeah. And speaking of cars i mean if you look at the uh, the emissions regulations moving forward every year it's more and more stringent so these auto manufacturers are having to make big changes so you know it's gone to the days of super large displacement engines and now it's smaller displacement but they're throwing on a few turbochargers Um, and it's it's they're better jake yeah they are you know Cars don't leak stuff anymore. I mean, when, in the
1: 80s, when you'd buy a car at 30,000 miles, it would start leaking stuff, and you knew what it was by the color, right? It was green, it was antifreeze, it was pink, it was automatic transmission fluid, it was brown, it was oil. Cars don't leak. I mean, just even simple things like that, the, the precision manufacturing and the gasket technology. So now your cars don't leak
0: stuff, which is bad to the environment. And nobody thinks about that. But we've come a long way, and we're going to continue to go a long way. Remember like five years ago, I was always scared that, you know, in the future it would all be electric cars, and they'd be slow and boring. And, you know, whenever I thought of a hybrid, I would think of a, a Prius or something right. like that. But now if you look, you know, you've got these auto manufacturers that are putting out these, essentially, they call them hypercars, which are half hybrid, and they're actually faster. You know? Yeah, much faster. <laughs> a,
1: a electrical car has its place. It's um, If anybody out there has not driven a Tesla, don't go drive one, because <laughs> I made the mistake and I drove one, and now I want one. It's not an electric car. It's a really cool, really fast car that just happens to be electric. The thing about electric in cars is we need to change the battery technology because they just don't have the range. But, you know, Jake, there's no transmission in an electric car, yeah. right? You have 100% of the torque at one RPM, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's more efficient. And then the thing about internal combustions, whether gasoline or diesel, is that they have to be small enough to fit in the car, which means you waste a lot of the energy as heat, Um Whereas if you use that same gas uh, to produce electricity on land, you can capture all that heat because you can build as big an electrical generation complex as you need to capture all that heat. So it's, it drives a lot of efficiencies. Electric cars make sense. They're coming, and they're coming rapidly. We just need a change of battery technology. Um, and you're right. You know I can go buy a hybrid Porsche that's, you know, 2.9 seconds, 0 to 60. That big, heavy Tesla, if I get the P85 version, what is it, 3.8 seconds, 0 to 60? Are you kidding me? I think it's 3. faster than that, actually. Is it faster Yeah, than that?
0: With, the, with the ludicrous mode that it has, you yeah. pay for that update, and it's extremely fast. Yeah, and, and so
1: people are listening. Y'all have now figured out that Jake and I have Marines in common. We're both car guys. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we can turn this into a car podcast real quick. <laughs> oh, in a heartbeat, yeah.
1: <laughs> and so uh, let's get kind of close to winding things up. Number 10. This should be no surprise. We talked about earlier, land rules. Sorry, land rules. I'm watching all the operators uh, globally shift their budgets, their CapEx budgets to to land, and they're doing it because it's just cheaper. Um, Now, um, offshore still has its place, and and there still will be exploration and production in, in uh, in a reduced um, format out there, but, but land is rules. And what's happening now is the major operators, it's kind of funny, Jake, they made this big journey. So all of them, I mean, except for Exxon, but you know, Shell, BP, Chevron, when all this fracking stuff took off, they all came in and they bought properties at an inflated rate. Um, they were horrible at it. They lost tons of money because they try to run land projects like you run offshore projects and, and they run completely different. And then they sold it when everything tanked at a loss. So They lost, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars but now they figured out how to do it right and they're coming back in and they're doing it properly. So you could have the, the majors who have the biggest research and development budgets come back in and start making money on land. Um, and the reason I said Exxon was different is, is it was when all that started happening, all the fracking took off, Exxon did what it always did and looked out there and said, okay, we see there's potential there, there's profit to be made. We have the biggest checkbook in the oil and gas industry that there is. Who does this well? And they go, oh, XTO. So they just bought XTO. So that's what Exxon typically does. Instead of trying it itself, they find somebody that does it right and just buys them. Um, so, but but because you can have all this R and D dollars um, in this industry for a long term period, because the majors have figured out how to make this work on land, you can see even more tech innovations, Jake. And it's going to be faster than before, which is going to drive. Um, the cost of these wells down, which is just increase the margins. And then what happens is either intentionally or, or inadvertently, the smaller operators will be able to capitalize on these tech innovations that the major operators make. Because yeah. the smaller guys don't have the budget. You know, the smaller guys don't have $500 million worth of research and development budget to try a new drill stem, right? Or to try a new supply chain or whatever. But the bigger guys do. So, once again, this is all good stuff. It's going to benefit our entire industry. Um, and when I say our entire industry, um, so we're, we've talked a lot about the operators, a lot about upstream, but think about all this oil and gas. It has to be moved, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the midstream companies are going benefit from this. There's more oil and gas to move around. And then we talked about the, the petrochemicals. Um, you know, There's more refining going on, more downstream stuff, stuff going on because there's a bigger demand for it. So, um, and then you know, all these companies need the service companies to help them do stuff. And so even the service companies are going to benefit from this. So it's going to benefit everybody, but for the foreseeable future and for 2017 specifically,
0: land rules so let me ask you this so why did why did these majors come in and make the mistake of of buying overpriced land is it because historically they've primarily been offshore and they're trying to apply the same strategies onshore that was part of
1: it part of it is it was new to them um and
0: the the way
1: you make money offshore is radically different than the way you make money yeah. on land offshore they do all the math up front and they have experience i mean you know Standard, ExxonMobil and Chevron came from Standard Oil. it's over 100 years of experience of doing this. Um, and so they know when they build this offshore project, they know not only, when, not only that they will be profitable, they know how much. And it's all about hitting milestones. If they hit all their project milestones and delivery dates, they're profitable. If those milestones and delivery dates slip, then they may be upside down for a while, or maybe forever, and they know that. And they've done this for a long time. It's different on land. In the, in the shale fields, it's about um, building wells the same way Toyota builds Camrys. Like, how efficiently can you run that assembly yeah. line? How quickly can you punch a hole in the ground, move that rig, punch another hole in the ground, move that rig, you know, build that pad, um, go into completions, go in line, build the pipelines, handle the race water, move the next one, move the next one. And so they didn't know how to do that. Um, now they've learned how to do that. And the reason they paid so much for... for um, for prospects for, for land is that they were in a land rush back when they got into it and prices were going through the roof. And they knew historically that if they didn't buy, even at that inflated price, that it was going to keep going up, um, which it did. right? Um, but what nobody saw except us, um, and I know some other people saw it too, but we called this out in I think 2013, 2014, um, is that there was going to be a glut. there's going to be an oversupply on the market and all this was going to crash. And it did. Um, this time it's not going to work that way. Um, it, this is going to be a gentle rise in prices. Um, this is going to be an accelerated reduction in costs so and margins are actually going to be healthy. Um, but um, you know, from a major operator, from super majors, they've learned their lesson, and now they're going to bring their resources to bear in, in, the, in, the, in the shell place. And which, once again, it's just going to benefit everybody.
0: Yeah, it'll be cool to see all those uh, research and development dollars go to good use because a lot of these independents will be able to pick up on that, like you said.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I mean, not just from reducing costs which is a major benefit but you know reducing lost time incidents making sure that people are safer um you know figuring out things like supply chain supply chain's an issue in this entire industry and, and every, there's a whole bunch of smart people trying to figure out how to make it happen make it more efficient well once again if you figure out that supply chain issue you're now reducing your cost even further so like i said fundamental changes in this industry but it's all really 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 cool stuff
0: i think that about wraps it up was it it was just 10 right yeah, just 10. Okay. We do 10 every year. I could All do 500, right. <laughs> but we, we stick to 10.
1: Um, and this is a good time. Um, you know, we want to thank our sponsor, Bulwark, and we also want to announce our winner. So, this is uh, our winner for this week's uh, long sleeve two tone base leader is Gustavo Garcia. He's a pipeline operator, enterprise products, EPP. Love EPP. So, Gustavo, you're this week's winner. Um, if you would like to win the fashion accessory and oil and gas for 2016 and 2017, it's really simple. You go to bulwark.com forward slash podcast. That's bulwark.com, B U L W A R com forward slash podcast. Enter your information and we pull a
0: winner every week. Good luck to you. And then, uh, Jake, we're getting to our events. Um, so we've got the uh, API Houston Luncheon Tuesday, December 13th. Uh, so that is next week from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Same place it always is at the Petroleum Club uh, downtown. Uh, and then we've also got the leaders in the industry luncheon, which is going to be the next day, Wednesday, December 14th from 1130 to 1pm. Also, at the petroleum club so if you just spend the night at the petroleum club you can go to <laughs> both of these luncheons <laughs> yeah and i'll be at the api houston lunch i'm on the board if you go hit me
1: up on twitter i'll let you sit at my table and i'll introduce you around and we also have the sixth annual modular construction prefab summit on december 7th and 8th so this ties into all the housing and the, the doghouse and stuff in oil and gas if you have an interest in that this would be a really good uh, place for you to go jake will stick links uh to these events in the show notes But also, I have an oil and gas events newsletter, which Jake will stick a link in as well. So what we do is we have um, our people go out on the interwebs and find all the oil and gas events that go on. We stick it in one newsletter and put it in your inbox every month. It just makes things easier for you.
0: Um, Then, uh, Jake, it's time to roll over to our rig count. What's going on? All right. So on to our rig count. We are up for this week uh for the week of December 2nd we we're up to 597 rigs uh which is great because we've been consistently uh in- increasing that number uh but if you compare to last year we are down 140 uh, but like we said uh, we don't expect to see that number of rigs for a long time no so
1: the rig count will start uh, creeping up it'll start creeping up uh, right say second week of January so we'll, st- we'll pay attention to this, but it's um you'll see. It'll start creeping up. It's not going to go crazy, um, but it will go up in a, in a nice, orderly f- fashion. Um, and then we have our first Friday Q- QA coming up pretty soon. It's our, probably our most popular episodes where we answer your questions. If you'd like to submit a question, it's pretty easy. Uh, you go to oilandgasthisweek.com forward slash ask a question. That's ask hyphen a hyphen question uh, jake will stick a link in the show notes um, one of the things we want to make an announcement though jake is that we have a new website for our show we have our own website now it's yes all we do. yep all and gas this week.com go check it out it's ridiculously easy to see everything we've talked about you can sign up and subscribe like 20 different ways to get the uh, podcast automatically
0: pushed out itunes to you. stitcher google play email i think there's a whole bunch of different ways you can get it there's some i've never even heard of i don't even know what they are right <laughs> um
1: our, our webmaster's been working you know 24 hours a day seven days a week coming up with some really really cool stuff um, we're gonna start doing some blog posts up there um and so uh, check out the website it's where all of this stuff is Um, If you want to uh, submit a question, we have a place for you to submit a question. If you want to leave us a review, if you want to read the show notes, um, if you want to know what's going on with Jake and I, if you want to have our contact information that's out there, um, we're supposed to have um, an About Us page, which Jake and I, you and I both, I think, have been fussed at because we didn't get the information to our webmaster yet. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. (laughs) Yeah, sorry about that. We're we're working on it. Um, But all of our shows now are going to have their own website. And then all of the websites you can find on the Oil & Gas Global Network. Uh, so, uh, Uh, we talked about the new website we talked about uh, we have some new shows coming out in 2017 we have two new podcasts coming out Um, we're not going to tell you what they are yet but there will be you know what Jake screw it let's tell them what it is so (laughs) the first one is going to be the oil and gas industry leaders podcast where um, uh, members of our team go out and interview senior people in oil and gas to learn their story and that's going to be a powerful great podcast and then we have the oil and gas industry technology podcast coming out where we go out and uh, talk about new tech in the oil and gas industry so you have that to look forward in 2017 do me a favor If you like this show, um, we, um, we had some changes going on and I think we might have lost some of our reviews. So can you please go give us a review? And even if you don't like the show, (laughs) leave us a review and let us know what we can do to change. The reviews help us get in front of more people. And then it also helps your peers. So there's so many podcasts out there that when your peers are looking for a good oil and gas podcast, if they see one with a bunch of reviews, they'll stop. And this way you help them notice that we're the good oil and gas podcast. So, um, that, you know, do that, leave us a review, um, share um, it with your friends
0: hope, put it on facebook put it on twitter
1: yeah share any way you can we linkedin need, that's another LinkedIn, good one. yeah and speaking of linkedin jake we have our own linkedin group which i just made you a moderator
0: oh nice
1: yeah so our linkedin group every single post every single person that gets approved is moderated by a real person and jake's now one of the people that's gonna be moderating that so, um, deny uh, everyone. <laughs> so if, uh, if, uh, you want to join the family, LinkedIn's the place to go. It takes you all of two minutes to go sign up. Um, you can go to LinkedIn and search, uh, OGGN in groups. Uh, we'll also have a link in the show notes and there's also a link on our oil and gas, uh, this week
0: website. I think we have like so, 1,500
1: people plus yeah, on there. Over 1,500 people. Yeah. So, uh, go join, um, we're making a conscious effort in 2017 to become much more active with our LinkedIn group. So we're going to actually have people go out and help answer questions, um, you know, help start discussions. So go join so you can participate in all that. Plus, we actually have some live events coming up in 2017, and they'll be announced on LinkedIn first. Um, there'll be limited seating. So um, if
0: you want to go to any of these, you're better off joining LinkedIn and find out first so you can actually get ahead of your competitors. So we're, we're coming up. So we're at episode 92 now. We're coming up to the big 100. I think we should do something unique for the for the hundredth show. So, if you guys have any ideas as to what that may be, as long as it's not super expensive, uh, <laughs> throw us throw us some ideas. I'm, I'm kind of curious what you guys would have in mind. Yeah, that's a great idea. So, anyone out
1: there listening, if if you'd like us, if you have an idea of what we should do for a hundredth show, I was sorry about of thinking about doing a live event involving alcohol somehow. Um, well, that'll that make it, it be interesting, a, real quick. <laughs> <an> interesting <laughs> podcast, yeah. But yeah, we'd love to hear from you. you know. If, if it wasn't for you, our listeners, this would be Jake and I talking to ourselves. And, and trust me, it would get boring really quick. <laughs> really quick. Really quick. So um, this is all about you. Let us know what you'd like to do, and if we can make it happen, we will. Um, and then we talked about the website. Uh, uh, we're guess that's about it. Jake, you ready to get out of here?
0: Yeah. One more thing. One more thing. Shameless plug for APIYP. I totally botched the date. So I had a couple people reach out and say, is it on the 17th or is it on the 12th? It's actually on the 12th. So if you click the link and you went to the RSVP, it took you there and it you know, it, it showed you that it was the 12th. Somehow I messed that up, so sorry about that. It is on the 12th of January, so we encourage everyone to come out. Um, it's a good chance for you guys to, who are part of the group to kind of give us some feedback as to what the direction should be for 2017. Uh, so shameless plug you just wanted to throw that in there real quick let's get out of yeah. here Mark well before we get out of here, let's talk about it a little bit more you need to join
1: the API Young Professionals it's the movers and shakers it's going places right these are the future leaders in the industry they're doing really cool stuff I mean Jake we took them on an offshore rig tour Y'all you know, that was amazing it was Conoco, so much Phillips. fun yeah and the cost is a whopping $25 a year so just go join I'm just telling you you'll be so glad you did alright now I'm ready to get out of here so folks do great work pay it forward and we will see you next time take care